Hello and welcome to Gilead. I'm Rebecca, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad you found us. On Sunday, July 24, 2022, I had the huge honor of co-preaching with Gileadite Kay Cruz. We were preaching outside, so you'll hear a bunch of planes going over. And a heads up, we always tell true first-person stories and they regularly hit close to home. And we never do trigger warnings. You can read why at the link in the episode notes. We do often remind folks to take care of themselves and each other. So if you'd like to talk to a pastor, you can find our contact information on the website. And if you'd like to reach out to someone anonymously, we've included a link to the National Sexual Assault Hotline in the notes as well. God doesn't turn away from any part of your story, and neither do we. Okay, that's officially the longest intro we've ever done. Here you go. So there's a thing that I teach when I travel for storytelling gigs. I teach it when people ask me to, or if they seem suspicious of storytelling as a spiritual practice. I think all storytelling is inherently theological, but some people really want it spelled out. I'm like, okay, I can do that. I have a framework I use, a framework that invites people to think explicitly about the theology of a given story. There are four questions. What's the world of this story like? What do you expect of it? What counts as good news? What's broken in this world? What's painful? Where does the evil come from? Who suffers in this world? Three, how do you make sense of the suffering? What are the unanswered questions? Finally, what could or does bring healing? One of the ways that I know that Gilead is my church, and I don't mean the church that I helped start that belongs to me, but I mean the church where I belong, is that there are a lot of places where people cannot begin to answer those questions. And that's fine, they probably have other gifts. But I need a church that can listen to all kinds of stories, drunken study abroad hookups, a hunt for pep in the wake of an assault, and can hear God in them. A church that can hear the arc of creation, destruction, and resurrection in all kinds of stories. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The words uttered by Christ after they had nailed him to the cross, after they had stripped him, beat him, and crowned him with thorns, after they had jailed him despite his innocence. Hanging there, he lifted his head and spoke to God, accusing him of leaving him in this moment alone. The despair of a moment forever captured in one line of text in red letters. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cannot imagine the pain, the loneliness of that moment. At least that's what I was taught. I was taught the despair of a moment completely alone was beyond my understanding as a human being, as a child. On Sundays, when the pastor used to boast on the suffering of Christ, preached to be so out of reach for a little girl like me. I learned the same thing, that the pain of Christ, that the pain Jesus suffered was completely unique in human history. I learned that it was a kind of agony I couldn't understand and also an agony that I contributed to somehow, like retroactively every time I committed some little kid sin, you know, talking back to my mom or hitting my brother. Jesus' already unimaginable pain grew worse and every time we had communion, which is about quarterly, we remembered that pain the pain that God was willing to go through for us, suffering that we couldn't imagine. 
And how could they know that I knew that suffering? A body and a spirit broken for the pleasure of another person. It was before I started kindergarten the first time. The feelings of loneliness and despair after the first time he touched me. The burden of guilt and shame so heavy and definitely not mine to carry. Did Christ feel like I did? Did he feel the self-hatred of existing in a body that invited such violence? Did he feel despair when it happened again and again like a bad dream he could never escape? Did it feel like it was his fault? I mean, after all, his violence happened at the hands of more than one person, as if he was the common denominator, as if he was the cause. Did he weep? Did he have nightmares? Was he sick from the way his body betrayed him? I can't imagine the scene witnessed by his disciples. The violence of a God nailed to the cross, a savior killed, crucified, and tortured by human hands. They laughed, they smiled, they enjoyed the moment they hammered in those nails. The joy they must have felt, the triumph. And the disciples, they had to watch, to bear witness as their savior breathed his last breath. I can't imagine the despair the totality of that moment. A life, their God, gone forever. Peter, he denied Jesus three times, backtracking because his death meant he couldn't be the Christ. Every moment before coming to an end in the worst way, his death assigning a new meaning to all the moments before, Jesus was not the savior. How could he be? A Christ would come to earth to bring good news, to bring deliverance, to bring liberation. A dead God? How is this good news? So I regularly feel unqualified to answer questions like that. And I think I'm supposed to be able to answer them. I mean, I do have answers, but with what authority can I give them? My answers typically are that God in Jesus' death came as close as humanly possible, as close as divinely possible, to our suffering, to all suffering. My answer is that God is in it with us, that God knows from inside a body the worst things we can do to each other, and that God chooses to be there, in it. But I have not suffered the worst things we can do to each other. One, what is the world of this story like? In 2002, the Boston Globe reported on the systematic institutional cover-up of sexual abuse of children by, Catholic, by the Catholic Church. It revealed a network of priests who were rehoused and families who were paid for their silence. Since that story broke, the news has been flooded with churches, preachers, and pastors who have sexually abused people. Southern Baptist, Presbyterian Church, Hillsong United, Ravi Zachariah Ministries, the floodgates of violence against children and people assigned female at birth, and the silence from the church. Sometime in grad school, in a piece of writing I couldn't find anywhere this week, I read that the only way to understand the cross of Jesus is to pan back. Pan back from his face, from the crown of thorns, pan back from the signs hung over his head, pan back from the whole beautiful, uh, hang back, pan back from the signs that were hung there to mock him and the whole beautiful vision that had captured the imagination of his followers. Pan back 
from his exhausted, broken body, and then to the two exhausted, broken bodies hanging on either side of him, one of them still crass and hateful, even in the middle of suffering, pan back from the women at the foot of the cross, those, the disciples who didn't take off in terror, pan back from the soldiers, agents of the state, making sure the condemned died. Pan back until you can see all of Golgotha, the place of the skull outside of Jerusalem. Pan back until you see that that whole hillside is covered with crosses, full of people condemned to die, not just to die, but to suffer. Jesus' agony, no longer the center of the picture, no longer even clearly in focus. Jesus' agony, not singular, not unique, but representative. A type of suffering that many, 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 people in that time and our time and every time know from inside a body. Two, what's broken in this world? In 2009, when I was 19 years old, my home church closed its doors for the last time. The man and pastor I knew all of my life had drowned in a sea of accusations. His victim came forward, refusing to be silenced anymore, and the church was divided between those who believed her and those who called her troubled, crazy. This man was my pastor, my godfather. He came to my family parties. He watched me and I, and he loved us. And he did it. He sexually abused multiple children, more coming forward since that first. I've watched them as they cried. I've witnessed their grief, their anguish and anger. Being the survivor of sexual abuse myself, surrounded by perpetrators and victims, I have been where the disciples were that night, trapped in a sea of despair, disarmed by the violence surrounding me, faced with the question, how is this good news? That question permeates my soul. Still at 32, saddled with PTSD, flashbacks and nightmares over 20 years later, wrestling with the effects of violence, sexual violence, physical violence, community violence, racial violence, economic violence perpetrated against me and bodies who look like mine. Living in a world where every nine minute, minutes, child services finds evidence to substantiate claims of child sexual assault. In a world where about one in four girls and one in 13 boys in the United States experience child sexual abuse, 82% of all victims under the age of 18 are assigned female at birth. In a world where out of every 1,000 sexual assaults, only 310 are reported to the police. How is this good news? My God, my God, why have you forsaken us? Yvonne Gabara is a Brazilian nun, an eco-feminist liberation theologian. I first read her in grad school too. And that's when she, along with that image of a hillside full of crosses, she revised the meaning of the crucifixion for me. She writes that when we make Jesus' suffering central, that's a way of excluding others' suffering. She writes that Jesus' suffering is certainly no greater than that of sex workers who are stoned to death or people having their children wrenched away from them or I'll add children being abused or I'll add people being sexually assaulted or I'll add whatever suffering you are remembering or thinking of right now. Sister Gabara writes that to mention the cross ever means to mention crosses. Writes that we have always to speak in the plural 
She says we have to talk and hear about all those other crosses in order to render them visible. There's a point at which when other people suffer in ways we don't, we can try and understand, but finally we just have to take their word for it. We just have to hear their stories and believe them. I am back. I am brought back to the cross. How Christ, who was made flesh, didn't live a life of safety and privilege. How he leaned into the darker parts of life. How he opened himself up to violence and death. And by doing this, he gathered up the experiences of the marginalized and elevates them to godliness. For only those who can suffer can understand the magnitude of his love and grace, the power and, its, and strength that it takes to love those who hurt you and forgive those who attack you. The cross, it imbues every act of love and forgiveness of those who have known violence with a supernatural ability to love in spite and despite what they've endured. The Christ of the cross leaves no one behind, but instead uplifts every action of those who have endured suffering to the miraculous. Every day, a survivor of sexual assault has good sex, healing sex, amazing sex. Every day, people of color who experience violence love and invite community. Every day, queer people who are hated and told they are sinful go on to love, have sex, create churches. Every day, people who are addicts go on to find sobriety, create community, embody life and happiness, all of it, however you choose to do it. It's a fucking miracle. Maybe that's the power of the cross, that it embodies the darkest parts of humanity and the best in one enduring breath. Three, how can we make sense of the suffering? I started this story by saying I was taught I was unable to understand the moment of pain and loneliness of Christ on the cross. I think I can. I think we can. For me, I know what it's like to have your body beaten and bruised and to be alone looking to God and asking why he left me. Asking God, where are, all, where are you in all of this? Because it can't be beside me. Because if you are good and you are here, why didn't you stop this? Why didn't you save me? I know that plea of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But maybe I was taught wrong. Finally, where is there hope in this world? What could or does bring healing? Jesus came as close as humanly possible, as close as divinely possible opening himself up to some of the worst of what we can do to each other. And despite that, he continued to love, to heal, to be vulnerable, just like those who existed before him and those here today when we can. So then, maybe the purpose of Christ on the cross is not to elevate Christ to a place untouchable by the human experience. Maybe the point of the cross is for Christ to join us, the marginalized, the downtrodden, the suffering in our humanity and despair. In those moments, we ask if God has forsaken us. Maybe the truth is he's there with us. In the room where the darkest things happen, maybe he witnesses what we endure. Maybe that's the power of God. Not to remove suffering, but to hold it with us, to mourn with us, and to remind us, even in our darkest moments, we are not alone. Maybe the power of God is that they hold the stories no one wants to hear that they bear witness to our lives in their entirety. 
Maybe the power is knowing our despair does not take us away from God, but draws us near to him, draws us near to the Christ who came so close that they suffered for us and with us rather than ever be apart from us. For me, that is the good news.